You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. If you're empowered with your money, chances are you're saving and investing and planning for your future. But are you budgeting the way you should be? Learn more at planefe.com slash hermoney and schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today. Hey, it's Motley Fool Money co-host Dylan Lewis here. If you're listening to us, it's because you love following the stock market and learning about business stories. If you're looking to keep learning and unlocking your potential, then you should check out the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast produced by our friends over at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby award-winning best business podcast that's received nearly 43 million downloads and is the number one career podcast in 95 plus countries. So you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are important in business and life in general. That's why you'll hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, as well as speechwriter, best-selling author, and friend of the fool Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. All that and so much more available on the Think Fast Talk Smart podcast. So what are you waiting for? Listen every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Hey, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us today for a very special episode of the Her Money Podcast. We are live on site at the Inc. 5000 conference in San Antonio, Texas. We've got an audience with us of some incredible female entrepreneurs. And one of the reasons that we are here today is that we are going to discuss some of the compelling data that just came out of Her Money's 2023 State of Women survey. This survey, which was sponsored by Principal Financial Group and included more than 500 owners of small and mid-sized businesses, found that only about a third of small and mid-sized businesses offer a retirement plan. And just over half offer one or more elements of an overall financial wellness program to their employees. Meanwhile, the research also surveyed 900 women and men who are full-time employees at those small and mid-sized employers, and 90% of them, an overwhelming majority, said they want a robust benefits package. In other words, we've got a major disconnect between what employees want most and what employers are actually offering. Our survey also showed, speaking of disconnect, a big disparity in financial confidence between men and women. This is a theme we have heard many times in the past. While 58% of men say they are confident about money management, just 45% of women say the same. And when it comes to investing, yeah, the numbers are even worse. Just 22% of women consider themselves knowledgeable about investing compared with nearly half of men. In other words, we've got some gaps to work through today because I am 100% certain that there are some amazing solutions out there. So here to talk through them with me are my guests, Teresa Hassara, Senior Vice President of Workplace Savings and Retirement Solutions at Principal Financial Group, and Beth Wood, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer with Principal Financial Group. And both of these women have incredible backgrounds, incredible experience. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about them. Teresa leads the principal team of 3,500 employees who are focused on workplace retirement plan types. We're talking about defined contribution plans, all your 401s and 403s, defined benefit plans, stock plan services. She's got an MBA from Wharton. And Beth leads the brand marketing sustainability and foundation efforts. She brings experience from both B2C and B2B models to principal. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having us. So glad to be here. So let's dig into the data because as you both know, there is a lot here. 
to start, I want to talk specifically about what a great financial wellness program could look like, should look like. And Teresa, for listeners who aren't really familiar with the concept, can we just start with a brief overview of what these programs are and what they should contain? Absolutely. And before I answer that specifically, I'd love to set just a little bit of context if I can, because financial wellness has been a discussion between employers and service providers, financial service organizations for an extended period of time. But the global pandemic really flipped a switch for many workers exposing their need for greater focus on their total well-being. So not just financial well-being, but their mental well-being and their physical well-being. And this awakening really served as a catalyst for employers to transform their offerings from what may have been more of a piecemeal, sort of a collage approach to benefits into a more holistic program. So more of late, ongoing economic uncertainty has increased the focus on financial wellness and the critical support employers can provide to their employees. So gone really are the days when financial wellness was looked at as, do I have a paycheck? Do I have a pension plan? Do I have a defined contribution plan? You know, the product-specific orientation versus today where it's, do I know how to solve the financial issues and challenges that I'm facing in my life? So as we have done research on financial wellness programs. What has emerged is that this personalization, this ability to really tailor solutions, to really be educated on how do you help yourselves and how do you work best with your partners has been increasingly important. And there are really five pillars that we see that are part of a holistic program. The first one is helping employees establish a budget and a financial plan. The second is retirement income planning. There's a whole age wave going on. We'll talk a little bit about that, I suspect. But retirement income planning is becoming more and more of a concern. Credit card and debt counseling, absolutely essential. Healthcare planning for early retirees and then investment education, guidance and advice. So it's really well beyond the retirement plan and the health benefits. Absolutely. It's interesting. I've been watching financial wellness, which I feel like has been on the precipice for such a long time, just waiting to tip. And now, finally, it has become a thing. And so, Beth, here we are at this conference with our audience of female business owners. Can we dive into that disconnect a little bit? What should small and mid-sized business owners be offering? What should they be valuing as far as the benefits that they put in front of employees? As I said, our our State of Women survey, it showed 90% of employees say they want a robust benefits package. But just about two-thirds of the employers said that they believe that it was equally important to those employees. So why do we have that gap? Yeah, there's definitely a gap. So thank you for that question. For the audience here, just to let you know, earlier in my career, I was a second generation small business owner. So I had 550 employees, not a small number for me, maybe a small number for many of you. But I really hadn't thought about what employers need to do to take care of the talent, not only the talent they have, but the talent they need to attract. So really thinking about who your employee audience is and what they need is unique to every employer. And so my guidance to employers is talk to your people about what they need. If your entire employee population is female, they're going to need something very different than if you have a mixed gender population. So first and foremost, listen to your employees and understand what's important. In some places, it may be, I want more flexible time off. That's an easier benefit to give. In some places, it may be we'd like a ping pong table in the middle of the office. That's a really easy benefit to give. But in most places, it's a combination of many things. First and foremost, you want people to be able to protect their income because more people are likely to become disabled than to die. So protecting your income is really important. I had cancer in my prior years and um, never thought that I would ever need income protection. So when you have cancer, there's times in your life where you can't work. You just physically cannot work. And so having income protection is really important, more important in many cases than life insurance. Helping your employees also understand 
the three bubbles. We call them the three bubbles, physical and mental well-being, relationship security, and then lastly, as Teresa shared, financial security. How do I build a budget? Where am I spending my money? Where should I be spending my money? And lastly, where do I want to be spending my money? So lots of different places where employers can help, but it starts with talking to your employees. I want to follow up on on two of the things that you just said there. First, on the disability insurance. You're so right. And it falls to the employer to offer this because it's so hard for people in many cases to afford this coverage on the open market. It's much, much easier. My first recommendation is always just see if your employer has it because that's going to be the best way to get it. But the part about budgeting, I think, is interesting because that's not a role that employers have seen themselves as responsible for. I think in past years, it's felt a little too parental, a little too big brother. Why do you think that employees are asking for that kind of help from their employers? Employees trust their employers. They are the most trusted source of information for employees. More trusted than governments. I know that's a shock. Um, More trusted than non-governmental organizations. The only entity that's more trusted is friends and family. But When you talk to your friends and family, is that really the guidance that you want to put your paycheck in? Is that really the guidance you want to rely on for your future health and well-being financially? So employers are a very trusted source. They have access to resources that individuals don't have. They have access to plans and programs that individuals don't have. And the other thing they have is the power of group buying, right? So group insurance is going to be a lot more cost effective than you buying it on your own. And so no underwriting, if it's a group benefit that your employer is offering, you'll qualify. And the group may get rated one way or the other, but you at least will have access to that. I often say your financial health starts with your workplace benefits. It is the first place when you're in your 20s that you get benefits, and you generally don't know what any of the language means. And so you have to study it and have to learn it, but you can go to your employer. If you don't have an HR person, you go to your advisor and you ask them for guidance and advice. Many carriers provide guidance and advice, as do PEOs. So there's lots of advice out there, and I think trust is one of the biggest components of where you place your bets. Jean? Would you mind if I jump in on that from an employer perspective? Because what I hear from our employers and clients that we work with is they've got busy J jobs. So you have to wonder, why do they take this on too? And I think it's because there's a lot of research that shows now that for an employee to bring their full selves to work, they need help in addressing these financial issues that are impacting their productivity, impacting their stress levels, impacting you know, their ability to participate in the workforce as fully as they might want to. And I also have seen other research coming out of principle that shows that if employers don't address these needs, they're going to lose their employees. I mean, employees have realized they hold more cards than they might have thought. Absolutely. When we look at accessibility to benefits, when we look at what is on the menu, I mean, we're in the middle for a lot of people of open enrollment period, the time of year where we take a new, fresh look at our benefits, whether we're on Medicare or whether we're getting it from our employer. And we're supposed to evaluate it. We're supposed to go to the fair. We're supposed to look at these things. I've seen so many studies that have said, yeah, employees pay so much less attention and spend so much less time evaluating what's offered to them than they do looking at a vacation, Mm -hmm. you know, buying a computer, buying a car. There's a lot of statistics out there. So How do employers, with the help of companies like Principal, improve the level of access and information about what's there? So I think access is a key word here. And helping employers first and foremost offer the plans that their employees are looking for is step one. But then, as you said, you've got to offer the gateways to participation. That means education. 
That means easy to understand language. The financial services industry is notorious for making things complicated. Jargon is the language. And so when carriers are speaking French and employees are speaking English, we pass each other in the night. And so employees, they they gloss over some of the language because they don't understand it. So having carriers come in and run sessions where they can explain the benefits, they can help employees think about what's relevant to them and meaningful to them. Those are helpful interactions. And that's what employers need to enable, enable the access and enable the interaction. Teresa, you probably want to add to that. Yeah. Uh, just a couple thoughts on Secure and Secure 2.0, because a lot of our clients and when we're out in the community talking about retirement and other types of financial wellness programs don't actually understand what happened. So there were two pieces of legislation that was passed over the last couple of years that were really focused on strengthening our retirement and financial wellness systems and capabilities. So they were all about strengthening the benefits, improving coverage, improving accessibility, and reducing the savings gap for workers. So for a small business, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. It means if you don't have a plan today, there are tax benefits for you that will help relieve your administrative costs over the next several years. And if you want to offer a match and you're of a certain size, they will also provide tax benefits to offset some of those expenses that you would bear. Now, it's not forever, but it certainly is a big jump start, I think, for folks that are in that phase of do I do it or don't I do it, right? I also think as an industry, in the last 10 years, I think we've done an incredible job of developing a full array of solutions from the simplest, lowest costs for people that are just getting started in organizations that kind of really want to test the waters with their first retirement program all the way up to the most complicated where they're very custom designed plans and programs. So another benefit of the secure legislation that I think speaks to accessibility is that if you're starting a new plan now, you are mandated to adopt automatic enrollment. Why is that important? Well, it's given kind of the recognition that folks have trouble getting started. And oftentimes when forced with a lot of decisions, they have trouble making that first step. And by auto enrolling people into plans, what we've seen as participation goes up really significantly. In fact, 94% of workers in our study, 94% of them stay in plan. <laughs> after they are auto-enrolled, which is just an incredible success statistic, I think, across the industry. Particularly, it's for us, but others are using auto-enrollment as well. Yeah, I can't even put enough emphasis on the change that auto-enrollment and auto-escalation has made. I, I've been covering personal finance for 30 years, and before auto-enrollment went into play. If you looked at big 401k plans, maybe they would get to 50% enrollment. And as soon as auto enrollment jumped in, it went to 80, 90% almost overnight. And auto escalation, which is where once you're usually defaulted into a plan at a 3% contribution rate, they bump you up by a percent or two every year is equally powerful because without it, people often just don't save enough. Exactly. And if you tie it to your merit cycle, they never even saw it. Right. Right. So it's just a really beautiful and elegant and kind of pain-free way to help people over time develop the right kind of savings and investment habits. So I think the big question that small business owners have is how much does this cost, right? Just lay it on the line. How much is this going to cost me, Beth? Yeah. Uh, there is a real misunderstanding among small and mid-sized businesses on what the cost of a benefits plan can be and will be. First, it depends on what kind of a plan you want to define, and you define a plan that works for you. But in our research, we've seen that small and mid-sized businesses generally overestimate the cost to five times what the actual cost is. When I was a small business owner, I started the first 401k in my company. I was so proud of myself because I thought, wow, we're really 
We're giving benefits that big companies give. That was such a point of pride, not only for me, but for my leaders. And I truly did overestimate. I dragged my feet for a very long time because I overestimated what it would cost. So the key is just learn more, you know, learn about it. Ask an advisor, ask other business owners. We actually have a portal on our website where we try to capture some of our business owner clients talking about decisions they've made to bring benefits into their employee population. And they've made good decisions, other decisions they might have rethought. But they talk about it. It's great as a small business owner to hear other people who've already traversed that journey before you and where they landed. So I I find just... Educate yourself is probably the most important thing. When we're talking about a match, matching dollars, I think that's where the cost gets daunting and scary for employers. When we're talking about the other benefits that might go into a financial wellness suite, whether it's help with budgeting or education on debt repayment or even some of the newfangled benefits like student loan help, mm-hmm. can you give us a sense of how expensive those things are and how difficult they are to put into practice? Yeah, absolutely. I think it really is, what is the value that you want to create? What are you your employees telling you about what's important to them? Because pretty much at any price point, you can find a solution. Now, you may want to work with a benefits broker or an advisor or You can contact financial service organizations like us who can help guide you through what are the array of tools and and resources that are available to you at different price points. So to the point I made earlier, I, I think the industry has evolved to the point where there's a recognition that even for employers just getting started is important. So reducing the barriers in terms of costs, reducing the barriers in terms of legal documents you need to sign and regulatory filings you need to make are all very important. Does that help get at what you're looking for? It does. And I'm very, very curious about these tax credits. If we're looking for more information about them specifically, where do we go? So we have it on our website where we go through what are the mandatory changes that are being executed and then what are the voluntary and optional. And if you're looking for details around would I qualify for these tax benefits given the size and shape of my organization, we have that information as well. So easily found on our website, but there are also other resources that are available. You said there is an array of options. Right. At the low to moderate end, if I just want to dip a toe in and not spend a lot of money, what are the kind of options that I might be able to offer to my employees? So it would depend in terms of are you looking for educational tools and decision support materials? Those are often available for free. Right. So it's merely having a conversation with some of the experts in the industry who can help point you to those kinds of tools that are available. So there are budgeting tools that are available. There are how do I help my child save for college? There are tools about how should I think about the decisions that I need to make in terms of the benefits that are available to me? The wide array of those resources available for free on the internet, just go to a trusted partner or provider rather than maybe some of the other places you might find information Information. that might not be well-informed. When we did this research, we found some disturbing gaps in how men and women are accessing these programs and using these benefits. What we found was that women are actually benefiting less than men, It's not because we don't know that the programs exist. Women said that there was a 61% awareness of financial wellness offerings. Only about 50% of men said the same. And yet when we looked at the impact of these programs, it was men who said that they were seeing a reduction in stress, an increase in emergency savings, and a greater reduction in debt. And also more improvement when it came to setting substantial financial goals for the future. I just am wondering, why do you think this is? So I wish I had great research to say, these are the three things, right, that are driving that, that are really causing that. But I don't. So I have been in the industry, though, for 
couple of decades and worked with a lot of women at different stages in their financial journey. And I think it would be fair to say that women do an awfully good job of taking care of a lot of people in the current day, but don't often spend the time to take care and plan for their future self. And so I think that it's really important, whether you're a provider or you're an employer or you're advisor or a partner in some other way, that we help the women in our communities and the women that we're serving and working with understand the ray and depth of the solutions that are available to them. And so I find drip campaigns are particularly effective. Generally, it takes, what do they say, seven times for someone to make a message their own for them to internalize it. So as an employer, if you can get that message out on a, it could be on the merit cycle, it could be the annual review, it could be any number of these events that happen through the course of the year to remind people of, and particular women, what they've got available to them, I think that's great. I also think women have to ask themselves do I invest enough time in building my own awareness and confidence? And to the degree we can kind of keep motivating those activities because you don't gain comfort overnight. No. No, right. and it's a process, right? It's a I process. Mean, and especially for women, like I'm sure many of us who like to know the answer to every question before we ask it, we're talking about a lot of questions that nobody has ever discussed with us, given us the information, had the conversation before, and that makes them difficult questions to ask. And so, Beth, what do you think we do to help more women, to encourage more women to leverage the programs that are available to them? Yeah, I go back to the old adage that a man will apply for any job he's not qualified for, <laughs> and women will wait until they are 150% qualified to do the job, and then they'll apply. And I think the same thing applies here. Yeah. Men are the consummate fake it till you make it, right? And we as women have to get better at that. We have to, as Teresa said, teach ourselves. We have to take small steps. And if a first small step is knowing where your dollars are going today, that's a fantastic step. Write a budget. That's not hard. We can all do it. There are, as Teresa said, tons of tools out there if you don't want to get your own back of the envelope and do it. But just know first and foremost where your money is going today. And then make a plan on where you want your money to go. And to Teresa's point about taking care of ourselves, you know, we were laughing today about having uh, our hair done every day. You know, how nice would that be? <laughs> well, if that's really important to you, that may be something you want to divert some funds to. But if you want to have a nest egg that you can rely on or invest for the future, I mean, we all know the power of compound interest, right? And there are lots of vehicles for us to invest in everywhere. But it's first and foremost understanding where your money's going today and then making a plan about where you want it to go. The amount of confidence that that will build in a female who typically lacks confidence from the survey, it's unbelievable. The other thing we do as women is we ruminate. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time going to sleep because I got 10,000 things going on in my head. And if no offense to the men in the room, but if you've looked at male versus female brain science, when women's brains are at rest, the activity is overwhelming. You see all kinds of activity happening in a woman's brain because, to Teresa's point, we're taking care of so many other people and things that our families and our employees and our businesses require us to do. A man's brain at rest is a complete peace. There's very little activity because they know how to shut that off. Neither one is right or wrong. They're just very different. And so we have to, as women, really discipline ourselves to say, I'm going to spend an hour here and I'm going to learn about what I need to do, where my money is going, and then think about where I want my money to go. I want to actually come back to the confidence findings, specifically sure. where it applies to investing. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick pause. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You're saving, you're investing, and you're ready to embrace a bright financial future. But when was the last time you took a look at your budget? 
It may be time for you to prioritize different savings strategies and what they mean for your overall financial future because knowing exactly how your budget is allocated can make all the difference when it comes to your financial health and wellness. Learn more at planefe.com slash hermoney and schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today. We are back and Beth and Teresa, let's dig into investing and the big gap in financial confidence that we see in men and in women when it comes to not spending our money, right, which we manage 85% of the spending in this country we have for many years, not necessarily budgeting, but but the investing, the putting the money to work, the principles of risk that we seem to have a hard time wrapping our brains around. There's a lot of research that shows that when women invest, we're actually really good at it. We're actually better than men. So why is it that this is so hard, Teresa? So I may say something fairly controversial because I'm not too worried about women's lack of confidence in investing. Because when we look at the behavior and the actions that they take, what we see is that they don't buy high and sell low. They actually have very strategic, thoughtful strategies that they're executing, and they're more likely to play the long game which is really an important part of long-term success in investing and for retirement. So I'm not as worried about that, but we got to get them in the game, right? So it's very important that we make sure that they understand the array of capabilities that are there to support them. It's clear also from our research that they trust their employers and they will use the tools if they know when they're and where they're available and they will use them with some frequency. So we talked a little bit about education and the drip campaign. That's really critical because women do tend to use those tools when they know where to find them. I think seeing other women at your company leading the way and yes. modeling good behavior is also really really important. One disconnect that I didn't mention at the top of the show is about financial peace or financial peace of mind. The survey that we conducted shows that women are much more likely than men to say that financial wellness feels like, quote unquote, being at peace without financial stress. Men are more likely to say it feels like being in control. I see a very, very big difference there. I think it's a huge difference. And I think there's a little introspection that's required there. I think you have to ask yourself, what does that peace look like to me? What does it look like now? What does it look like three to five years out? What does it look like longer term? And when I can't sleep at night because I'm worrying about my financial situation? Is it because I don't know if I'm saving enough or I don't know how we're going to support the kids' college or I've got an elderly parent that I'm worried about? So you've got to get specific with yourself and then I think make a commitment to educate. Right? If we just spent 30 minutes a week learning, it would be 24 hours a year. Just think over the course of five years how much more confident we might feel and how much less stress we might feel as we're building that knowledge. And there's some easy ways to do it. You can listen to your podcast. You can curate your (laughs) news feed so that you're getting information on the things that you're worrying about and that you care passionately about. You can have conversations with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, right? And so I think that reaction that women have, you have to just spend some time with it and really interrogate it to make sure that you're solving it in the right way. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And I think getting help when you need it, whether you're getting it from a financial advisor, and and I'd love to come back to the statistic that you guys surfaced in in a different piece of research about the fact that about half of women say they just don't know when to engage with a financial professional. But there's also just this issue of stress that seems to have taken on, I don't know if it it grabbed hold during the Great Recession or if it grabbed hold during the pandemic, but the fact that our stress levels have just continued to rise in this country. And 
stressed out employees are really bad for workplaces, really bad for employers, really bad for businesses. So when you look at the impact of all the different programs that you offer, specifically the financial wellness programs, what do you see on those stress levels? Yeah. So I'll start and then, Teresa, you can jump in. You know, sentiment is really important. And Money is a big area of stress. But as Teresa said, as people go through their lives, different stressors present themselves at different points in your life. If you have an aging parent, if you have young children and you're paying for daycare, that can be a big stress. We know families are thinking about this idea of going to work versus working from home and how do I balance that in the combination with things like daycare and planning for college and so on. And so it really is not about financial balance. It really isn't about anything more than juggling what's in front of you today, but then also thinking about what's happening in the long term. And for women, I think feeling is so much more important. They are really thinking about how does this make me feel? That's why peace of mind comes through for women versus men. It's more about what is the impression I show to the external world, which is why confidence comes through, because that's an external sentiment that you're sharing with the world. I want people to know that I'm confident. But for women, it's about how do I feel about myself? So it's intrinsic versus extrinsic. Yeah. And and I, I think that really is the distinction between the genders. And that's why they interpret financial wellness differently. I also think the notion around advice is changing. And what we see, not just from women, but from others as well, is that they're not sure they want a lifelong relationship with an advisor. They might not be ready for that, but they have these moments in life where they don't want to make the wrong decision and they just, and they'll educate themselves go to resources, but they don't want to pull the trigger until they can have someone who has that deep expertise say, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Here are some couple of other options that are available to you. So I know at principle, we've really recognized that education digitally provided and digital tools can only take people so far. And that advice in the moment is really deeply valued. Yeah, there's a whole bounty of research around the concept of just-in-time financial education. And what it shows is that if you can give people the answer to the question at the moment that they need it, they'll actually remember that, right? right? And that's something that'll stick with them for years, if not decades. Beth, do you think that an employer's success and their employees' success are inextricably linked? I do. You know, we often say that when you take care of your team, they take care of your business. I genuinely believe that. And I think that's even more important now, post-pandemic, than it was pre-pandemic, because employees found their voice in the pandemic, and they continue to find their voice. Now, that's not to say that employers don't have a strong voice, and I think we're coming back to the middle a little bit. Things got really out of whack after the pandemic. Now they're starting to come back to the middle where employers and employees recognize they need each other, Mm -hmm. right? It's not a one-way door. It's a two-way door, and they need each other. And communication trumps all else. So when they understand what each other needs, good things can happen. We have a client in Des Moines, Iowa, and one of his youngest employees, we were interviewing them for a story we were telling about their business. It's a family-owned business. The owner actually sold the company to his employees, called an employee stock option program, because he didn't have anybody in his family, the next generation, who was interested in taking over the business. So it's a great option when business owners are thinking about their exit planning. Nobody wants to die at their desk. When I was a business owner, I thought that was my exit strategy. I'm just going to work until I die at my desk, until others told me that I had other options. And that creates new mental models for you to think about. But in this case, he shared the stock in the company to all of his employees. And one of his youngest employees said, I love this place because they value me and they want to see me win. And it was such a great quote from a 20-something young man, single, trying to find his way in the world. And he felt that he belonged, he felt heard, and he felt valued. And when people feel valued, they stay. 
And not only are they loyal, but then they're advocates for your firm and they bring other talent to your firm. When we talk to business owners, attracting and retaining talent is one of the biggest issues right now beyond the business operation, right? That's going to always be there. But thinking about talent, making sure you hire the right people that you trust, that can embrace your core values. We say when you know what you believe as a firm, you know how to behave and you know the people that should be on the bus with you. And so really important that employers and employees understand that symbiotic relationship that they have, and it's a give and take. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take some questions from our live. I'm so excited that we have a live audience in just a sec. But let me ask each of you one last question here. Um, Teresa, as you look out into 2024, because we're almost at 2024, I saw them actually putting up a Christmas tree in the (laughs) lobby. We are are taping this November 1st, just for perspective. What do you see on the horizon for small business owners? A couple of things. First, that It's never too late to start a financial wellness and retirement program. And with the legislation that happens, there is this real opportunity to reduce your cost savings and solve some issues for your employees that maybe you've not been able to get to. I think it begins with having a conversation, though, with your employees about what matters most to them and where are those investments best to be made. And then the last thing I would want to highlight is we now have five generations in the workforce. Five generations. So there is no one size fits all. And next year, we will have 12,000 Americans turn 65 every day. That is more than has ever happened before in our history. So really highlighting a critical need around income solutions and really changing kind of these traditional notions of retirement and having conversations around what does a phased retirement look like? Does that work for you as employers? Does that work for employees? Yeah, it's a whole additional ball of wax, that switch from accumulating money to figuring out how to make the money last. We could talk for a solid hour about that. We won't do it today. But Beth, when you think about the things that maybe small business owners are missing, that they should be thinking about, what would you put on the list? Number one is don't get caught working in your business all the time. Don't forget to work on your business. We forget that, right? Because every single day there's a thousand things that demand our time and we forget that there has to be a long-term plan. I would say that's number one. And number two, don't try to do everything. Hire expertise. You are an expert in your business and we say every expert deserves an expert. So if you want somebody who's an expert in HR, hire that resource. You don't have to hire a full-time person. There are fractional CFOs, fractional CMOs, fractional HR teams. Everything can be subscribed to, I think, these days. So take advantage of those resources, but do not do it yourself. You are too valuable to your business to get consumed by the needs of HR and finance and bookkeeping. I made that mistake. I lost my bookkeeper, and I was the bookkeeper for six months. Worst six months of my life. Probably the worst set of books I ever put together. (laughs) But you don't know it all, and you don't need to know it all. Hire that expertise, and don't be afraid to be in charge. I love all of that. I'm going to put it on a pillow someplace because (laughs) I am definitely guilty of working in my business too much and not on my business enough. All right, let's go to questions. Here is my set of instructions. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you're from. Tell us a little bit about what your company does, and then we'll take a question. Who's got a question? Hi, I'm Jill Stelfox, and I'm the CEO of Panzura. We're a hybrid cloud technology company. And I bought the business in May of 2020, and it had 100 employees at the time. We now have 300. We've grown 485%. Congratulations. All those things. Thus, at the Inc. 5000. I will say that I very quickly learned that as an employer, we're in a different world. It is a very human world today. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, mental health became the issue in 2020 and in 2021, financial health, interestingly for us. And we started this funny thing that we called Financial Fridays. And we would do these things to get people to think about budgeting and investing and 
we would do a cocktail party because that was the thing. And we would call it Financial Fridays. Let's come and learn. One thing we learned is that women didn't speak up and women didn't participate. So they were there, but they weren't actively there. And so then we started doing fabulous Fridays, fabulous Financial Fridays (laughs) that were just women so that they felt like they could answer questions. And by the way, now we do have women getting involved because we created a safe space for them to learn. That's right. How do we keep creating these spaces, I think, for women to learn? I feel like it's we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to ask, say, like, we don't even know where to start, right? Like, how do we start learning? And how do we create those spaces in our workplaces to make that happen better or more often? I'd love to take that Yeah, start there. It's a great question. So first of all, congratulations on your success. Courage, given the timing of your acquisition and your growth and all of the things. So congrats. You know, we are birds of a feather. We are more comfortable when we are in a safe space where we can feel heard and not judged. And that's what's happening in your women's group. And what we find is employee resource groups small communities of people who come together that are like-minded trying to tackle the same problem really works well. And as an employer, you can enable that. You can facilitate that. You can start by saying, we want to start some employee resource groups. Who are the leaders that are willing to stand up and start that conversation? And I pretty much can guarantee you the engagement you've already started with your female employees will persist. And you will have an LGBTQ community. You will have a women in tech community. You will have men who invest. I mean, I'm, I'm making this up, right. obviously, but people will find their people. And it's the great thing about a human-to-human work environment. And I feel like we've lost a little bit of that in remote work, but it's still achievable in remote work. So if you have a workforce that's full-time remote, you can still achieve that. You just do it through technology. So I think safe space, heard, like-minded ideas and goals is really the way to go forward. Yeah, if I can jump in on that, because I've seen that play out and been incredibly successful over time too, that safe space. But I think there's something in particular women leaders and women entrepreneurs can do, which is talk about our own vulnerability and the financial journey that we have been on so that we make it comfortable for others to be in a place of growth, right? And I think women really cherish those safe spaces, but frankly, there are a whole lot of men who don't know what they're doing who could also benefit from a safe space where it's comfortable for them to ask their questions too. And so I think by modeling those behaviors and sharing those vulnerabilities, we make it easier for everybody. Yeah. And I just have to say, this is why her money exists, because I have done so many talks over the years in rooms full of men and women where women have not asked questions, and then so many in rooms full of just women where women have so much to say (laughs) that when we started Her Money, we decided that's what we were going to be. We were going to be a safe space. So these are fabulous ideas. Other questions? Hi, I'm Liz Gossens. I am here representing Social Contract. We are a social impact consulting firm founded in 2017 in Wilmington, Delaware, and we're growing. Uh, we are working in eight states now. We have a new office in Philly. So, and I, I'm a, a planner, so I wrote down my question. Love that. <laughs> um, all three of you have, have spoke to this a little bit over the course of the conversation, but I'd like to ask specifically. So working in social impact consulting, I've been extremely fortunate to be able to balance mission-driven work while growing a business. And Beth, you spoke this morning about harnessing the power of purpose, and that really resonated with me. That purpose has directly resulted in my own financial success, right, and the growth of this company, which is amazing. But that next step of financial planning and working with staff and employees feels slightly out of reach and a little bit murky. And I definitely focus too much on the work, right? And not the work. (laughs) Gesturing (laughs) outward. So I'd love to know two or three things that I can do when I 
get off the plane and get home and and really set myself up for focusing on financial wellness for the business and making that a priority. Thank you. Teresa, you want to start? Absolutely. So thank you for that question and congratulations on your incredible growth. That's so exciting and so exciting that you're at this stage where you get to think about this next step. So a couple of things. I would suggest that you borrow from this idea of Financial Fridays, right? Begin to make it comfortable to talk about personal finance and You don't have to have all of the answers yourself. And I would bet your employees would jump in and say, hey, I'd like to learn about this or I'll go research this. So, you know, I love the Financial Fridays idea. I think that's been enormously successful. I don't know what kind of advice and support you have from experts, but if you have a benefits broker or an advisor who supports you, they probably have a wealth of resources that you can pull from. I bet they would come talk to your folks. Mm -hmm. I bet they would do it on a consistent basis. So those are two ideas, low to no cost, Mm -hmm. that kind of up people's focus, brings this topic to top of mind, and then give them actionable ideas and tools. Does that help? I love all those. I'll ditto all of those. I also ditto congratulations on your success. It's really hard to be a business owner, business leader these days. So congrats on that. And I love that you have a social impact company and that you're putting people, planet, and profits all at the top of your house. That's important. We need more and more people to be thinking about other people and the planet. We were talking the other night about how empathy is a lost art, that people are not as empathetic as they used to be. And I think there are a lot of cultural dynamics at work, a lot of community dynamics. So you keep on that mission because we need it as a community. I would echo what Teresa said, but I'd also add a couple of resources. The Benefits broker idea is a great one. I would add there are so many resources out there for businesses. SCORE, the Senior Core of Retired Executives. Guarantee you there's a chapter in your area if you're not already tapped in. These are experienced executives who have either built their own business or work for large companies that bring this wealth of knowledge for free to their chapter meetings to help business owners think about what their options are. The second piece, Jill talked about. It is modeling behavior and making space, telling your employees it's okay to take an hour out of your day to invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, as your employer, are going to encourage you to do that. And you tell me what the mechanism, what the environment, what the configuration is. And then the third thing is, I would ask some of your people to help you put this together. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it all. They're finger is on the pulse of the community, the employee community, and they'll engage other people. And now you've got a half a dozen or a dozen people all marching toward financial health and well-being, not just yourself. Fantastic. How about one more? Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Jean. If you want to continue unlocking your potential, then you should also check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by our friends at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning best business podcast that received nearly 50 million downloads. It's the number one career podcast in 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are critical to business. 
All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Hi, my name is Lisa Zeveld, and I'm the CFO for Belay, and we provide remote, flexible staffing administratively, so virtual assistants, accounting specialists, social media. I'm here from Atlanta, Georgia, and this is our ninth year. Wow. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Lists. So awesome. good in business. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. We're pretty proud of that. That's awesome. Um, As almost you should in be. business uh, for 14 years. We're celebrating 14 years here coming in December. Nice. Speaking about setting up all these benefits plans, I have been with the company since almost inception and have gone through all this. And when you talk about disability, you know, coverage and things of that nature and wellness, we've kind of gone through all of this. But what I find is that when we started out, which I think a lot of business owners do, you end up hiring people who look like you, who are your same age and who are probably in the same season of life. And as we've grown, one of the beautiful things is our team looks very different than it did in the beginning. And so what we find is when we sit down to talk about benefits, and we're in open enrollment right now, and we're talking about all these wonderful things to bring to make you the best employee that you can be, that um, the messaging needs to be different, right? Because now we do have people in the room who are close to retirement, and they're thinking about, gosh, I'm five years out, and what does that look like? But we're also employing people who are just beginning their journey, Right. And so what we find is that the information from our broker and our partners doesn't really resonate with everybody. And so we almost feel like that it's our responsibility of how do we make this really a compelling story to all ages and to all stages of life. And, you know, we were predominantly women. Now we have some men on the team. And so it is really an interesting story to tell. So I just didn't know if you guys had any suggestions around how to make sure we're tailoring a message that resonates with each person, regardless of the stage of life. I'm going to start there. I don't think that you can tailor one message for everyone. We had breakfast this morning and we were talking about how you don't just need different messages, you need different messengers, right? I'm perfectly aware that not everybody wants to listen to me talk about their money, but maybe they'll listen to me and they'll listen to some other people and they'll find the voice that makes sense to them. And so I think as you're trying to craft these messages, I wouldn't try to cover the entire landscape at once. Those folks who are close to retirement and have to take the money and turn it into income, that's very different from the folks who are coming out with student loans and have to figure out where the next dollar goes. And I think if you're working with the right broker or benefits provider or financial services company, they should have different resources that you can tap into to bring those different things along the way. Yes, absolutely. One size does not fit all. It didn't 50 years ago, but we dealt with it because it was all we had. Today, everything is idiosyncratic. If I go on Facebook and I look up something, I expect that that company is going to start following me and sending me ads. I just know that that's going to happen, right? And it's miraculous. It's like the magic of the internet and social media. I'm always, as a marketer, I'm fast, still fascinated <laughs> by that. But people expect things to be personalized. That's what we expect. And even if we are five years from retirement or five years into our career, we expect that you as an employer are going to help us along the journey that's meaningful to us. So I completely agree with Jean that you've got to work with the resources you have to customize those journeys and the information that your teams are looking for. And think about your employees in clusters. Right. Not just from a financial standpoint, but from an attitudinal standpoint. Right. Not just demographics, but psychographics. Like how do they think about their lives? People with children, very different than people who are 25, 28, just entering the career. They have a very different outlook on life. And I always say everybody has three chapters in their career. Well, I don't know about you, but my 20-something daughters think they have 30 chapters in their <laughs> career. And they may. They just may because the world is just so fluid. So I completely echo what Jean said. You've got to find the right experts to help you customize what people need. I have one last bit that's incredible advice that's been given. One last 
idea to share with you, and it's based on an employer that I worked with who had some of the highest level of engagement in financial wellness tools and capabilities, an incredible participation rate, almost 100%. And they did not, at the time we were working together, have the auto capabilities. And what they did was they developed advocates and champions Mm -hmm. based on cohorts Mm -hmm. that they had identified or right? Segments of their employee population. And it wasn't their job to be the expert, but it was their job to connect with the cohorts and make sure that folks understood the wealth and and depth and breadth of things that were available to them and tell their own story and be able to share some of their experiences to kind of grab the attention of the folks in those cohorts and then get them connected to the right places. So something you might want to consider. Fantastic question. Thank you all for being here. Beth, Teresa, thank you so much for a thank great for conversation. And thank you for um, diving into this survey with us. Okay. We are we are so pleased to be your partners. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Teresa Hassara and Beth Wood for their incredible advice on how we can all find the financial wellness that we need. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines. This episode was produced live on site at the Inc. 5000 conference in San Antonio, Texas by Catherine Tuggle. Our show is mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk soon.